morning, I'm going to have Mark come, and he's going to read from Hebrews. So if you want to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. Each fall, we do a bit of a uh, little vision series where we refresh ourselves on what we're doing as a church, why we're doing it. And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, Mark's going to read. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, and then we're going to go back and actually look at the text that Mark is going to read. So, brother, come and read to us from Hebrews 13. You guys in Hebrews 13, chapter 1? And he's going to read verse 12, right, Mark? First 12 verses? Yes. All right. Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Hebrews 13, 1 through 12, this is the word of the Lord. God. Thank you, Mark. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize that whenever we come to your word, that it can be boring, it can be dull, it can be meaningless, unless your spirit comes into our hearts and helps us to believe what we're reading and then to love what it is that we're believing and then to want to live what we're believing in a way that would honor and please you. And so, Spirit, I pray right now for a divine supernatural anointing of your spirit upon our hearts. So as we, as we consider this morning where we fit in the world and what you want to do through us and in us, that we would really believe it wholeheartedly. We'd understand what you're saying to us through your word and that we really would believe it and that that belief would, would foster a fresh love for you and for what you're doing so that we would leave here ready to live differently, ready to make whatever changes we need to make so that you are exalted and so that we're living the way you created humans to live. And so come, Spirit, I pray. Guard my mouth from saying stupid things and help our hearts to ingest the things we need to and to process them. Uh, so come, Holy Spirit, come, I pray. Meet each one of my friends in this room where they're at and speak to them directly, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So every fall, we begin uh, a little bit of time together. We talk about what are we about as a church? Why does Christ Church exist? And so we have a vision statement that we've been talking about now for a very long time. And it goes like this. Christ Church exists, and I know all of you have it memorized. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, vision statements are a big deal to me because they drive what we do and what we don't do, where we spend money, where we don't spend money, what we're putting our emphasis on. So this drives stuff. This is not just a thing on paper for me. Um, I hope it's not for you either, but it's simple. We exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples who are living on gospel mission. And we break that down, because that's a long sentence, into three key words, which are gospel, community, mission. Three key words, gospel, community, and mission. And we talk about our mission being twofold. It is when we help disciples to grow, and it's where we go to the lost people so we can see them come to Christ. That's the twofold mission. That's our, that is our vision statement as a church. It's one we've had for a very long time, and it's one that we will stick together with. Now, what we also have talked about is this, that although there are specific scriptures we've gone to over the years, and every time we go through a book of the Bible, we find scriptures, and we go, wow, look, that's our vision statement again and again and again, that we realize that it's not just Matthew 28, it's not just Hebrews 10, but it actually fits into the storyline of the Bible. So we've talked about what is the storyline of the Bible, and I would encourage you guys to have some version of this memorized, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So the storyline of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation is very simple. It is about God, and here's what he does. He redeems, gathers, sanctifies, and sends fallen people into the world for his own glory. That is, that's the storyline of the Bible. That's redemptive history, if you will. It is really about God, and what does he do? Sorry, I didn't swipe it, did I? I don't know what I'm doing. There we go. God redeeming. So he's rescuing people. And then after he rescues them, you're in your Bible, he gathers them together. And then after he gathers them together, he, he sets them apart. He changes them. He sets them free from sin. He works his spirit into their lives so that he can then send them out to do things. So this is important for several reasons. One is simply because I think in the storyline of the Bible, we want to know that, that anywhere you drop into Scripture, you're going to see one of these things taking place. So you're reading your Bible, and you're going to find, that, oh, look, it's about God redeeming and rescuing people, or, oh, it's about God gathering people together, or, oh, look, it's about God sanctifying and changing people, or it's about God sending people out. It, that's the storylines. You're going to find one of those ingredients everywhere you look. Now, what I want you to see this morning is this, that within the storyline of the Bible and our vision statement, there is overlap. Not just some overlap, but a lot of overlap. So I want you to follow along with me here. The top one is the storyline of the Bible. The bottom one is our mission statement. So I want you to see that what we're doing as a church is not just like, oh, it's just one or two verses. Matt pulled out of the New Testament. No, it's actually fitting for the whole storyline of the Bible. So if the storyline of the Bible is about God redeeming, where do we see redeeming in our vision statement? Ah, beautiful. Gospel. So, there's a connection. God is redeeming. In our original statement, we call it gospel. Okay? And then we have the word. What does God do after he redeems people? He gathers them. What's our word for that? Community. We're building a community. Cool? Let's change colors just for fun. All right. What's the next word? He is sanctifying. What are, we, what are the words do we use for sanctifying? We use grow, and that comes from, absolutely, I heard somebody say the spirit. We need to be spirit-filled if we're going to grow. And I'm going to circle mission because 
That's part of our mission, right? To help each other grow. That's sanctification. So that fits. So God is about, in the Bible, redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and lastly, what's he do? He sends. Where is that in our vision statement? See it? Mission. That's all about our mission and what we do as a mission as a church. That's representative of the fact that when we're sent, we're all over the place. Right? He sends us on mission. So the storyline of the Bible is God redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and sending fallen people into the world. So we got fallen people here into the world. That's also what? We got fallen people, so that connects to gospel and into the world, so that connects to mission. And then what does it end with? For his glory. And how does our vision statement begin? We exist to glorify God. So do you see that? I just want you to see that what we're doing as a church is nothing new. It's been God's been doing since the very beginning of time, and it's what he continues to do. And so it's important you see that so that when you're in your Bible, you can look for what is God doing? What part of the storyline of the Bible are we in as we read through it? Now, here's the other reason this is important, and this is very exciting for everyday life, and it's this. If this is the storyline of the Bible, if anywhere you go in Scripture, these are the things that you see when you're there, you need to realize that you are part of the story, that you are in the storyline of the Bible. Think about it. Jude ends... Everything prior to Jude has happened, obviously, except for stuff in Thessalonians where it talks about Jesus coming back, but it's happened. Revelation is yet to come. Do you know where you're living right now? Between Jude and Revelation. You're in the storyline of the Bible. You're in it. Because right now, what is God doing on the earth? He's redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and sending fallen people into the world for his glory. So you're in the Bible, if you will. You're part of it. You are living that out every day, whether you're aware of it or whether you are not aware of it. I don't think the people in the Old Testament or the New Testament are like, oh, wow, we're going to be in the Bible. They didn't know. They didn't know they were going to be part of something that was written down in redemptive history, but they were part of it. And the same is true for us. You are part of the greatest rescue story of all time. But we got to believe that. You're living between Jude and Revelation. You're living between these two books. Right now, you are living part of God's redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and sending. You are living out God building a community of spirit-filled disciples who are living on gospel mission. So we're getting to play a part in a very big story, bigger than what we think about when we roll out of bed in the morning, right? A lot bigger than that. And I think that's the problem We don't really always believe that we're living out redemptive history because we get drugged into the inertia of diapers and laundry and cars breaking down and going to work and doctor's appointments and homework and bills to pay. Yet within all of that, within all of that, we have to believe that we're still living part of God's redemptive story. And you're in the story. You are part of that story. We looked a few weeks ago at Acts 17 when we were in Genesis. And we read these verses where it says this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. I'd circle that if I could. Allotted periods and the boundaries. So times and places to which people dwell 
that they would seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each of us. This verse tells me that God put me now and here so that I can be a part of his storyline where I am seeking God and helping others seek God. And the same is true for you. Why were you born in, why are you living right now in 2021 and not in 1821? Because God decided you were going to live in 2021. Why are you living in 2021 in Mount Airy and not Afghanistan? Because God chose to put you here in 2021. Why? So you would seek him and fulfill your part in the storyline that God is building, the redemptive story where he is saving, sanctifying, and sending fallen people for his glory and for his praise. Do you believe that? You know, I was thinking this week, you know, if, if I knew that I was one day going to be the president and I would initiate world peace and take care of hunger and change the world, I'd be like, yeah, I'm in the storyline of the Bible. Or if I was going to be a doctor and, and cure cancer or a great evangelist and there would be revival breaking out everywhere in America, I'd be like, yeah, I'm in the storyline. If you who have kids knew that your kid was going to cure cancer, if you knew that your kid was going to be a great evangelist and revival would break out around the world, or that, or that your kid would be a president who would bring world peace, you would parent different, wouldn't you? You'd be like, whoa, my kid is going to do great things. Listen, God does not work that way. Your life and your kid's life is just as important even if they don't cure cancer because they're part of the God story, the story that God is building. He is at work, and we need to realize that, embrace that, that you are part of what God is doing in his story. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to draw our attention just to one facet of this storyline of what God is doing in our vision statement um, for this week and probably for next week too. And that is just simply this. I want us to talk for the next probably week or two about our grow. What does it mean for you to grow? And I want to be very specific this morning and hopefully next week with something God has put on my heart that I think is of utmost importance. If we are going to grow and as a result live out the storyline of the Bible, be part of what God is doing the way he's wanted us to do. But there's an important ingredient here. For about three months now, God has been taking me to this topic, to this area, and reminding me and speaking to me about it. And I believe he did all of that for us, for you. I think he has a deep desire for you, for your family, and for this church that we would understand what it means to slow down and enjoy the grace of God. It's really that simple. What I'm going to share this morning is simple. But that every one of us, I believe God put on my heart for us, that we would learn what it means to slow down. Life is so busy and so full. That we would learn to slow down and figure out how to apprehend the grace of God in such a way that our souls are refreshed, so that your soul is revigorated, so that your soul is cared for and come, comes alive. I pray that through this morning and the next couple of weeks that we would grow in a deeper enjoyment of Christ and his grace, that we would find soul peace, 
soul rest, calmness of heart, that we learn how to sit with Christ in new ways, embrace his presence, relax in him, and find refreshment for our souls. Anybody want that? Now, there's lots of ways in Scripture that we go about finding this rest and peace in Christ. But what I want to do this morning is I just want to look at one thing. And it is in Hebrews 13, verse 9, B. You know know what I mean when I say that? Second part, chapter 13, verse 9. It says this. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You guys see that in your Bible? I hereby officially declare this to be our new scripture memory. It's really long. I know. It's hard. Challenging to get. But my hope is, let me give you that and we'll pass, pass those around. Pass those around a little bit. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Shall we memorize it together right now? It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Shall we say it again? It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That's going to be our scripture memory. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. So I ask you this morning, this begs a question, what is the state of your heart? What is the state of your heart? Is your heart strong? Now, you guys know, kids, make sure you know, I'm not talking about like thump, 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 thump inside of your chest. I'm talking about what makes you you when I talk about heart. What is it that makes you who you are? Your soul, your spiritual heart, your spiritual heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your mood. That's what we mean by heart. So last week I had an EKG. You guys ever had one of those where they stick all the sticky things on your body? And then they plug you into the computer and start you up. No, they don't start you up, but they plug you into the computer. And what are they doing? They're, they're, they're checking to see the strength of your heart. What I want to do this morning is plug you into a spiritual EKG so we can test the condition of your heart. Is your heart strong this morning? Or is your heart weak and burdened? Are your thoughts and your emotions clear and vibrant and alive and sharp and alert? Or is your heart and your thoughts and your feelings and desires weak, maybe tired, dull, passive, discouraged, depressed? Or are you strong and determined, focused and purposeful, alive and healthy? There's a verse that Tyler Jordan and I often talk about from Acts where it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul is talking to pastors. He's saying, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. What I'm doing this morning is I want to pay careful attention to you and I want to help you to keep attention on yourself. For you to be able to regulate where's your heart at? How is your heart doing? Is it strong in God or is it weak? And I think it's good for us to have a regular rhythm in our lives, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, all of those where we simply slow down. We slow down. We stop doing so much. We sit in quiet with God and his word. And we evaluate, how is my heart? How is my heart doing? 
Is my heart strong and getting stronger? Is my heart weak and seemingly getting weaker? See, when I hear God say, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, I conclude that my heart must need to be strengthened by grace. I receive it as an invitation from God saying, hey, your heart needs to be strengthened by grace. I hear it more as a statement even than a question. And I hear that even in the fact that he says, it is good. It's good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. And if God wants what's good for you, then God must want your heart to be more strengthened by grace. Does that make sense? I, I, I'm, this, is as, this is simple, isn't it? I mean, it's simple. God wants your heart to be strengthened by grace. I don't think God is saying, if your heart needs to be strengthened by grace, I think he's saying your heart does need to be strengthened by grace. And in fact, it is good that your heart would be strengthened by grace. In other words, it's God's desire. It's his design that your heart needs to be strengthened by grace. It is right. It is good. It is necessary for you to encounter grace in ways that your heart is strengthened. Your being is strengthened. Jordan sort of introduced this last Sunday, if you caught it. We talked about in Romans 5, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you guys remember that? That, is just, we, that was part of our scripture memory. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. That is a heart grace strengthening verse. But we got to slow down long enough to actually process what that means. That is an incredible verse. Sin increases, grace abounded all the more. I think there's a place for us to find soul strength just in that, from grace in that way. But we have to slow down in order to figure it out. So I'm going to do something for the kids. Parents, you can listen in. Adults, you can listen in. I hope this is helpful. But this is just from last week. Can you guys see these? I got two jars. I got a jar that says sin, and I got a jar that says Grace. So this is last week. This is what Jordan led us through last week. So I have two butt jars. I have a sin jar and a grace jar. And I have a thing of green beans. Now, I don't mind green beans, but green beans from a can, that's sin. (laughs) So that is going to represent sin. And then just in keeping with our tradition at Christ Church... I have marshmallows, and they represent grace. And I know that Rob loves marshmallows. I think I remember every time I do this, Rob is the one who's like, I love marshmallows. So I have more for you, Rob, for later. All right. So all I'm doing right now is I'm trying to give you some visual. This is is like, okay, these are the weird things that I meditate on when I'm with God. Green beans and marshmallows. So here we go. But I was thinking, okay, like, like, If that's true that when my sin increases, grace abounds more, then that means not only is there more sin in my past, because I sinned last week. Everybody, everybody, we're on the same page. Did you sin last week? Yeah, okay, we did. Okay, we're all like, let's nod our heads. We did. But that also means that whatever proportion of sin I did last week, there is a greater proportion of grace in my last week. So that means that if I sinned, If I sinned, representing a green bean, that means that God matched it twice with grace. Does that make sense? 
It means that last week when I coveted, when I wanted my neighbor's truck, I sinned. And so what did God do? He added more grace. When I complained, none of you complained this past week. I did complain this past week. So I, I sinned when complaining. So what does God do? He, he adds not one, but he adds a whole bunch of grace because it abounded all the more. What else did I do last week? Well, I know I got angry. So there goes my anger green bean. What does God say he does? He adds more grace. So one, two, three, I don't know, four times the amount of sin, he adds grace. What about my stretching the truth to look better in front of others? Well, there's some more sin. Well, guess what? With that sin comes more grace. And we can keep going. Those are just sins of commission. Let's talk about the things we were supposed to do last week that we didn't do. God tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. And didn't do that. There's more green beans. I did that. And you know what it says? Grace abounded all the more. Let's go to the next one. Uh, I'm supposed to consider all of my trials pure joy. And more green beans. Guess what? For that one green bean, guess what? More grace, because grace abounded. How much? All the more. Let's keep going. Love your neighbor as yourself. Nope, I loved me an awful lot last week. Green beans. What does God do? Grace abounds all the more. And just when you think the grace bag is empty, God goes, I don't think so. Because I've got more grace. So the more you sin, the more grace I've got. So we keep going. He tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Green beans. Do I? Did I? No, I didn't. So what does he do to my sin? He adds more grace. He tells us, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Daily. Stink. Didn't do that either. More green beans. What does he add? More grace. Do you understand the point of the illustration? That's the point. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. The burden on my heart for all of us this morning, for you, for me, and I did a napkin from somebody, is <laughs> that we would know how to strengthen our hearts with grace. In other words, we would slow down long enough to consider what does it really mean that when I sin, grace abounds? And that when we stop and we consider what it looks like when I sin and grace abounds, it will strengthen your heart because it's good for your heart, for your heart to be, scripture memory, strengthened by grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So let me ask a follow-up question for you this morning. Do you want your heart to be strengthened by grace? Do you? Do you want it? Because there's a difference between saying, yeah, I, I think I need my heart to be strengthened by grace. Another thing where you sit on the edge of your seat and you go, I need my heart to be strengthened by grace. On, on my own, my heart is weak and distracted and discouraged and depressed and derailed and confused. And I, I do dumb things and I'm weak. I need strength. I need my heart to be strengthened by God's grace. So it's one thing to say that you need it. It's another thing to say that you want it. And so I ask you this morning, do you want your soul to be strengthened by grace. And I want to do is I want to show you a couple of things from this passage, just three of them, ways to strengthen your heart with grace, because I think they're there. 
I think he tells us. Here's some specifics. So we went to Romans because I wanted to go there because of last week. But right here, there's three. There's way more than three. I may only get to two this morning as I look at the time. Ways for your heart to be strengthened by grace. The first one he puts in the negative, and it's, it's an odd sentence. It's just odd. Look at verse 9. I don't understand why he does it this way. Do not let, do not be led away by, you guys look in there, 13.9. Do not be led away by diverse, that's various, different kinds of, and strange, that's new, different teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, there's a scripture memory, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. All right, so if you're reading your Bible, you get to that sentence and you go, what on earth is happening here? So keep looking there. Look in your Bible. I don't want you guys to hear what I say. I want you to hear what God says. So he says, do not be led led away by diverse and strange teaching. And then he says, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And then he goes, not by food, which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. So I think you can take that scripture memory out of the sentence and realize that he's making a, a sandwich, if you will. <laughs> and in the middle is this grace sentence. So look at, look at it with me. I think you could read it this way. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings by food which have not been benefited those devoted to them. Does anyone understand what I'm saying? So the strange and diverse teachings are related to food that people are committed to that really don't benefit them, but they think that somehow it's going to strengthen their heart. Does that make sense? I know this is strange. Trust me, this is not what I want to preach today. It really isn't. I'm like, what on earth? But I'm like, this is what it says, so I want to do what it says and hope that it helps you. Because this, this is how God built the sentence. He put our scripture memory around this thing about strange teaching and diverse teaching that has to do with food that people get devoted to that then somehow makes their soul stronger. So what's happening here? What, what do we do with this? Well, my mind goes to two places when I think about this in God's word. The first is this. When I come home, okay, let me back up for a second. I did my homework. We don't know what the strange and diverse teachings were. And we don't know what the food was. So we, we don't know that. And I wonder if God doesn't tell us so that we don't only apply it to that one way. Does that make sense? So it's, we don't know. So we're going to look at it as, okay, God wants us to somehow think about food and how we want food or how our culture tells us about food that replaces grace. So let me just give you an example. So I come home from work, long, busy day, hard, tired, exhausted, frustrated, just done. What is the first thing I say when I walk through the door? Yeah, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? I want steak. No, I need steak. That's what comes out of my mouth. Like, I want it and I need it. Now, what am I doing in that moment? I have a soul hunger, and what am I looking for to satisfy my soul hunger? Steak! (laughs) Food! That's where I go. What is for dinner? Do I get an amen? It may not be steak for you, but how often have I heard in my home, from my mouth and others who aren't here this morning, not the one who is, that... that they walk in the house and say, oh, what a day, I need chocolate. I need ice cream. Can we have pizza for dinner? I need something salty and something sweet now. 
Now, we're not saying in that moment, oh, I have a need in my soul, and I'm actually looking to food to meet that need. That's not what we're doing, right? Functionally, what are we doing, though? Functionally, we're realizing I have a need in my soul, and what do I want to fill it? Food, (laughs) not grace. And I think it just... It's just almost crazy how God puts these verses together. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for being hangry, because I do think there's a place for being hangry. And and I'm not saying that we may not be more susceptible to sin when we're hungry. But look at verse 9. There's a key word there, and it's the word devoted. Devoted to. In other words, they were devoted to thinking, if I get the right food, it'll change my life. If I eat certain things and don't eat certain things, it will change my heart and my mind and my soul, and I'll be strengthened to be a different person. And so that led me to be thinking, well, doesn't our culture do a very similar thing? I just looked up diets. Do you have any idea how many diets are out there? Holy moly. Gluten-free. I'm not even going to pronounce these right so just you can mock me. Laugh. Gluten-free. Keto. Paleo, HCGTLC, or HMR, no idea what those stand for, the Zone Mediterranean, the Flexitarian Diet. I love that. It's mine. I'm flexible. Whatever you put in front of me, it's mine. There's a Vegetarian Diet, South Beach, Dairy Free, Atkins Dukin, Intermittent Fasting, DASH, all caps, Nordic Diet, Jenny Craig, Slim Fast, GMO Free, Whole Foods Vegan, Ornish diet, Noom, Whole30, and there's even a mayo diet. Although it has nothing to do with eating mayonnaise. I did look that one up. I think it's fair to say that we are devoted to some diverse and strange teachings when it comes to diet, when it comes to food. And I wonder... If there are ways, this is just me trying to bring application from this text, not from Matt, but I wonder if there are ways that we are devoted to some of these diverse and strange diets, believing that if we figure out the right combination of things to eat and not to eat, it'll strengthen our hearts, it'll change our lives, I'll be sharper mentally and physically and emotionally, and I'll be better. We're dedicated to it. We we love it. And before you say, I don't believe that, let me just ask you to consider for a moment, and I'm asking myself the same question, How much time did I spend this past week thinking about my diet? Eating the right food, buying the right food, preparing the right food the right way, compared to how much time and energy I gave to thinking about grace, eating grace, digesting grace. See, what God does in this verse, and I pray it's not me, I'm just trying to bring it, is ask us to consider what we really believe about food intake as it compares to grace intake. Lest we believe that it's good for the heart to be strengthened by food instead of strengthened by grace. So I just ask what you believe this morning, what will have a better, greater benefit on your soul, taking in more grace or taking in the right food? That's where God's going. Second one, I want to pray that we strengthen our hearts with the grace of Jesus' presence. With the grace of his presence. Look at verse 5. He's going to do another little comparison. Instead of to food, 
Look what he does. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So do you see what's going on here? This is not about food. This is now about money. Don't love money. Love God's presence. Be content with what you have. Love God's nearness. Just like you can't strengthen your heart with food, don't strengthen your heart with money. Strengthen it with grace. So I love this first little phrase. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A few months ago, I, I have a Bible I keep on my nightstand and I just opened to that verse and I kept it there. So when I woke up in the middle of the night, anxious, heart racing, whatever issues I'm dealing with, I would just look right at that. I would look right at those words. He himself, this is how it reads in the Greek. He himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I mean, there is so much grace in that sentence. I will never send you back. I will never give up on you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. He has promised. Listen, God has promised to be by your side 24-7. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. You are stuck with him, and he is stuck on you. Now, let me help us hear the grace in this. Here's the grace. In case you've forgotten, God has plenty of good reasons to forsake you. Do you believe that? If I were to sit down with God and say, God, give me a list of reasons why you should forsake me. Give me a list of reasons why you should leave me. It wouldn't take long to come up with a very long list of reasons why I am very forsakeable and why I'm very leaveable-able. A long list. So I think there's just so much grace here. We need to celebrate. We need to slow down long enough to realize There is so much grace in the reality that you have a God who is never, never going to leave you. It needs to captivate our hearts that we don't read, as long as you don't forsake me, I won't forsake you. As long as you don't leave me, I won't leave you. That's not what it says. I mean, that's the way the world does things. In fact, the way the world does things is even worse. Even if you don't forsake me, I might forsake you. Right? That's the way the world rolls. Even if you don't leave me, well, I still might leave you. But not with God. And we've got to just take time to let it sink in that you have a God that is never going to leave you. And it's all because of grace that he is never going to leave you. And his presence with you, according to verse 6, is that he's there to be your helper. He's there to help you. It's not like, hey, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you, but when I'm with you, I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to cause trouble in your life. I'm going to mix things up so that you kind of maybe don't do so well. No, he's there to help. He wants to help us. It's like we're being invited by God to have our hearts strengthened by grace so that he can help us and remove our fear. Anybody deal with fear? 
anxieties and fear. He says, look, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you so that you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of things. I don't know, anybody here this morning need help? Like, I just need help. God says, look, I want to strengthen your soul with the grace of my never leaving you and taking away your fear with my help. And that's what he's offering to you this morning. And then verse 7 and 8, this is the last one, I'll be done in a second. Verses 7 and 8 gives us one more, just little piece of grace to strengthen your heart. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, why on earth are those two sentences together? Answer, because your leaders are not the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, consider your leaders, look to them, look to their example, but, verse 8, Jesus is the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the only one who will continue on the way that he already is. This is the immutability of God, the immutability of God. He, he never changes. He is always the same. And we can't say that about anything. Nothing else in our lives is the same today as it was yesterday. And nothing tomorrow is going to be the same as it was today. Everything's changing. Nothing's predictable. Except God. Except God. I hope you feel the the strengthening grace in this. You have a God who isn't going to change his mind about things. He is 100% reliable in your life. He is not going to go one day, hey, guess what, guys? No more grace. From now on, we're going to relate based on how good you are. If you're good enough, I'll treat you okay. If you're not, I'm going to deal with you. We don't have to worry about that. He's not changing. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to base it on works. We can have confidence that his character is never going to change. It's going to remain the same every day of our lives. This is really good, but listen, again, we have to slow down and let that grace strengthen us. If you leave here today and do not think about grace again this week, your heart will not be strengthened. Do you understand that? We need grace to strengthen our hearts. We need to slow down. Some illustrations, see if these connect with anybody. I don't know if you guys know the difference between jump-starting your car and trickle-charging your car. You can jump-start a battery, wham, it starts. But it doesn't necessarily last. Or you can trickle-charge it, and it takes more time, but when it's done, you've got a full charge. God is telling us, slow down, get the trickle-charge of grace. I love hot pretzels. Abigail makes amazing hot pretzels from scratch. You get the microwave kind, you put them in, you've got them immediately. They aren't very good. She makes them scratch, it takes half a day. Oh, they're amazing. It takes time. Some of you guys, I know smoke. You do smoke, not smoke, but smoke, like smokers, right? I could microwave a steak or pork butt, or you put it in a smoker. Which is going to taste better, my microwave pork butt or the one Chip does for three days? Endless nights. Marinated in hickory smoke. What's going to taste better? Slow. Slow down. This morning, I was, went to the bathroom, and, uh, you know, Scripture tells us that we look to creation to learn about God, right? And to learn about life. And learn about us. Sorry, this is bad. You guys are... <laughs> where's he going with this one? And here's my cat. 
Now, you guys, if you, I'm not a cat person. We don't even have a name for our cat. That's how not cat person I am. That's kitty kitty. So if you guys have, a, you guys have cats, like, you guys see how cats sleep? That's how kitty kitty is most of the time. Spread eagle, upside down, eyes rolled up in the back of her head. And as I walked in the bathroom, I saw her there. I just thought, that's resting. Like, she is chilled out. She looks like she's on drugs. And I just thought, that is how I want my soul to be. I want my soul to be just resting in grace, strengthened by grace in such a way that if you could get inside my heart, you would just see me upside down, spread eagle, just, just roll, eyes rolled up in the back of my head, just taking in grace, enjoying grace. So, Jesus, in this case for us, just remember, he's not getting weaker or dumber He's not getting stronger or smarter. He's not discovering things. He's not rebranding himself or evolving. He is consistent. So who he is today is who he was a trillion years ago. And who he is today is who he will be a trillion years from now. He's not changing. He is staying the same. He's predictable. So when he says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, you can count on it. When he tells us that when, great, when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, you can count on it. He's not changing. I've counted with couples where the husband says, she's not the person that I married. Or she says, he's not the same guy that I dated 10 years ago. And I'm like, no, duh. <laughs> People change. We change. For better, for worse, we grow, we learn things, we find out things we like and don't like, hobbies change. A million things play into who we are, and we change over time. You were different when you were 10, then when you're 20, then when you're 50, when you're 80, you're going to change. But not God. God's not changed. You don't have to wonder, I wonder who he's going to be like next year. He's consistent. He's never going to leave you. He is never going to forsake you. And he's always here to help you. And that is all grace. That is meant to strengthen your heart. To strengthen your heart. So do you need your heart to be strengthened by grace? Do you want your heart to be strengthened by grace? So here's what I want to encourage us to do. I want to encourage us to do something different. Something maybe strange or radical. I want us to figure out a way to get time this week or next week to sit and rest in grace. I know we're busy. I know we're busy. But if you believe that your heart needs to be strengthened by grace, then why not take two hours one day this week? Why don't you take half a day this month? Why don't you take a whole day this month? Husbands watch the kids or wives watch the kids. Get your Bible. Go off into the woods. Go to the beach for the day. And just get strengthened by grace. You say, Matt, I, I don't have time to do that. How would I ever do that? Oh, you would if I said, I'll give you a million dollars if you take a day off to just bask in the grace of God. You would take the day off. I know you can. And so I want to urge you to figure out, to look at your calendar, to think about ways to say, okay, 
God is inviting me to strengthen my heart with grace. I need to slow down to do that. I need to consider all the grace of God. Where and how do I carve out the time to sit uninterrupted so that I can strengthen my heart with grace? Does that make sense? It's not a rule, not being legalistic. I'm not going to check up on most of you. But I want to encourage you. I know it'll mean sacrificing something else. I know it will. Maybe it's helpful for you as you're going to bed at night or as you're driving wherever you need to go to re-listen to the message on Sabbath rest that we did. Gene and I were talking about that this past week. He reminded me of some things that are just really helpful to my heart. Like, okay, what does it look like to get Sabbath rest? What does it look like to rest in grace? So maybe you need to re-listen to that if you need to. But the, the, the goal is this. Your heart, whether you know it or not, needs to be strengthened by grace. And it won't happen unless you take time with God to rest and enjoy His grace. Now, if you have questions about that, what that looks like, how do I do that, please come ask me. I'd love to sit down, talk with you. What do I do when I go do that? What does it look like? Um, just, I'll talk through that. Ask other people. I'm sure there's other people in this room that have done that. They've taken half a day or a whole day and gone off into the, wherever with their Bible and a journal and just met with God and enjoyed grace. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Go rest in grace. It'll be the best thing you can do for your heart, which means it's the best thing you can do for your spouse, which means it's the best thing you can do for your kids. The best thing. Better than a parenting book. Better than a parenting message. Go find grace. Better than a marriage book. Go find grace. Go rest in grace. Get your heart strengthened in grace. So what we're going to do is take a minute. I want you to have alone time with people around you if you want and just think about what does it look like for you to get your heart strengthened by grace? And you can take a minute or two to think about what are the other categories in my life where I experience grace that's meant to strengthen my heart if I'd stop and just think about it and take it in. Does that make sense? So just take a minute. You talk to your spouse, talk to your kids, sit alone, neighbor, whatever you want to do. You can do those questions or just kind of adjust them. What would it look like for you this week to set time apart next week, the week after, to just let your heart be strengthened by grace. All right, so let's take a minute, talk among yourselves, think, pray. We're not too busy that we can't take a couple minutes to do that, I hope.